morning, uh, as we consider the wisdom of God together, let's come with an open heart. Indeed, we can rest assured that, and we can live our lives with a great trust in God, for He is an infinitely wise God. This is the God we serve. So let's receive God's word this morning. We can be challenged, yes, but let's not miss out on our great and wise God. With that being said, the title of this message is, The Wisdom of God is True Wisdom. And our passage comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 to chapter 3, verse 4. Please stand as I read from God's word. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, you are not, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, are you not being merely human? This is the word of God. Please be seated. In this world and in our lives, I'm sure that there are many things that we value. We value time, money, family, friends, possessions. If we are honest with ourselves, we also value what others think of us, don't we? We value our reputation, we value our wisdom, we value our knowledge. This draw of wisdom, the desire to look and be smart, to look prestigious, is indeed an attractive thing in our day and age. In fact, we live in a culture that idolizes knowledge, idolizes prestige, and having the wisdom of this world. However, if we go back in time to over 2,000 years ago, we see that the early church in Corinth also struggled with idolizing worldly wisdom and outward appearance. They idolized and loved this so much that they placed the wisdom and eloquence of this world over the wisdom of God and over the work of God's Spirit. They saw the message of Christ and the cross, the message that the Apostle Paul preached to them as perhaps subpar. And they may have thought lowly of Paul because of his lack of worldly wisdom, his lack of eloquence. 
how easy it is for the people of, this day, of that day and even for us today to value the wisdom of this world over gospel truths, over the wisdom of the cross. Do you think that the things of the Bible, the truths of Christ and his death and resurrection are all just things from the Stone Age, things we don't really need to talk about anymore with no relevance to us today? Not only did the church in Corinth have this issue of valuing earthly wisdom and outward appearance, but they were dividing over this. Some saying, I follow Paul, perhaps he seems smarter, or I follow Apollos because he seems smarter. But how foolish are people, including the people of today, to be ashamed of the message of the cross and to pick sides, to look down on the message of the cross and to think, you know, the message of the cross, the message of Christ, it's so primitive. It's childish. It's 2022 now. It's time to talk about more grown-up things, isn't it? Well, Paul in our passage today gives us at least four points about God's wisdom that is highly different from this world's. God's wisdom is true wisdom, and we need to believe that, brothers and sisters. It's set apart from this world. Four truths about God's wisdom that we as Christians must understand and hold fast to. And the four truths are, number one, God's wisdom leads to glory, in verses 6 to 9. Number two, God's wisdom comes from the Spirit, verses 10 to 13. Number three, God's wisdom is foolishness to the natural person, verses 14 to 16. And lastly, God's wisdom can be neglected, verses, or chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And this leads us to our first point. God's wisdom leads to glory. Like I said, the church looked down perhaps on Paul. At least some did, perhaps because of his looks or his words and his lack of eloquence and articulation. Nevertheless, Paul was unashamed of preaching the cross of Christ. He understood that he himself might look weak and small, yet his message of the cross and the crucified Christ was indeed true wisdom. It, It was great to preach. He does this by showing the contrast between the wisdom of this age versus the wisdom of God. Verse 6 says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Paul concedes that he does not impart the wisdom of this age. That's true. However, he still does impart a wisdom. It's not of the age, but it is a wisdom that he's imparting. It's God's wisdom. It's true wisdom, not of this age. You see, the wisdom of this age, that is the rulers of this age, the philosophies of this age, the science of this age, the most noble and wisest of this age, these things can't save you. In fact, it can do the opposite, as our passage says. It it can doom you in of itself. If you place your ultimate hope and allegiance in the wisdom of this age and not in Christ, well, you are doomed to pass away, as we can infer from verse 6. The wisdom of this age, the rulers of this age are doomed to pass away. So where do you stand in relation to worldly wisdom? According to D.A. Carson, rulers of this age are not necessarily demons or limited to political leaders. Rather, they are those who rule the outlook and values of any age. That is, the wise man, the scholar, the philosopher, the wise, influential, those of noble birth, pointing back to chapter 1. The best from the world, yet those who are against the message of Christ. People that Paul faced back in Corinth, the people we face today, people we see all the time, who might be smart, who might be wise in in a worldly sense, but don't know Christ. 
Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying math is bad or logic is bad or studying in school is bad. We need to study and study hard. But I'm talking about the type of wisdom, the type of earthly wisdom that looks at Christ and spits in his face or, or laughs or looks down on him. The type of wisdom that looks at the divinity of Christ and his message of reconciliation and yet decides to crucify him as we see in verse 8, as the rulers did in that day. Perhaps the wisdom that causes division, wisdom that puts people down, causes quarrels, is conceited, wisdom that causes one to abandon all morals for the sake of earthly wisdom, wisdom that has little or nothing to do with God, with Christ. These are the rulers and the type of wisdom that we deal with in this world, don't we? 1 Corinthians 3, 19-20 says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. James 3, 14-17 says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If the philosophies and ideologies of this world bring forth war, violence, bad fruit, insincerity, if it's partial, if it goes against truth, which it often does, then we need to beware as Christians. We cannot partner with darkness. We cannot yoke ourselves to the wisdom of this age that is doomed to pass away in of itself. Social justice with no Christ or gospel, what good is that? Religion that preaches good works but no Christ or grace, what good is that? Philosophy that philosophizes all day, never leading to the truth, chasing rabbit holes after rabbit hole, what use is that wisdom? Science that ultimately rejects the creator behind all that we see. What use is that science? Atheistic and agnostic lifestyles that lead only to sadness and despair and immorality in hedonistic pursuits. What good is that? Or ideologies and worldly wisdom that tries to influence you to think we can change our genders based on our feelings or to abort babies when they are not convenient. We live in a culture that seems to uphold these things as wisdom and truth. These are the influential ideas of our day. But what wisdom is there in going against God's plan for roles for men and women, for example? What wisdom is there in murder, often for the sake of convenience? What does all this worldly wisdom outside of Christ get you? Nothing but what is negative, pain, despair, and death. Ultimately, the wisdom that will pass away is the wisdom that rejects Christ as the Messiah and Savior of the world. So Paul understands that worldly wisdom, wisdom that rejects Christ, having no reverence and attention to Christ, is not ultimately true wisdom in of itself, since it is only sufficient to condemn and not save. On the other hand, Paul instead preaches and has been preaching true wisdom, Because it is a wisdom that comes from God. Verse 7 says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Wisdom that comes from God, and this idea of secret wisdom and hidden wisdom is a reference to the gospel. He preaches the gospel. The hope of Christ that was predicted and foretold throughout the whole Old Testament. That has now 
guilt to us. Romans 16, 25 to 26 says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. You see, the gospel that Paul has indeed imparted is the message of Christ. The message that so many long for, the hope of the Messiah, the hope of the forgiveness of sins. It is here, and Paul has imparted these truths. He's imparting these truths. And verse 7 says that this truth, this wisdom of the gospel of the cross was the creed before the ages. Why? It says, for our glory. For our glory. Eternal life with God. That's the purpose of this wisdom. Verse 9 says, What no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, God's wisdom is true wisdom. It leads us to glory. It is from God. It is the gospel that we can hear now and be saved now through Christ. It is a wisdom that does not doom us to eternal hell. God's wisdom saves. The world's wisdom condemns. This is what is being contrasted here in these four verses. The wisdom of this age, the Christless, Christ-hating wisdom versus the true wisdom that comes from God regarding the message of the cross, which can save. A wisdom that rulers of this age do not understand. It is far better to have no degrees but to know Christ than to have all the degrees in the world yet not know Christ. For having Christ is to have wisdom. The message of Christ, Paul says, is wisdom that has been imparted to these Corinthian believers. So, brothers and sisters, let's not forget these things. It leads to glory. It is for our good. Be encouraged by the message of the cross as it leads us to glory and eternal life with God. Don't forget these things. And this leads us to our second point, that God's wisdom comes from the Spirit. We must remember that Paul, again, is writing to the Corinthian Christians. Not only is Paul sharing these truths of God's wisdom, but we must keep in mind that he also is appealing to them in regard to their division over wisdom, over worldly things. So he states in verse 10 that God has revealed these things, that is, the truths of the gospel, the truths of the glory to come, to not just anyone, but to you, to the Christian believers. It's not as if the Corinthians were just sitting in ignorance. Paul is telling them that they have the Spirit of God who has revealed the truth and wisdom to them, the wisdom from God to them. And Paul argues in verse 10 that God has revealed wisdom and glory to us through the Spirit, to Christians. This is because the Spirit is the same Spirit that searches the depths of God. It's available to us, the same Spirit that knows everything. And why does the Spirit know the depths of God? Well, because nothing can search God and know God's thoughts except for his own Spirit. You know, when a guy is romantically interested in a girl, he may think for hours and hours about whether or not she likes him back, for example. What does she think about me? Does she like me? If I ask her out, will she say yes? And guys may painfully go back and forth in their minds trying to guess what that girl might be thinking and feeling. How do girls think? Well, it's a mystery for many, isn't it? We don't have access to their minds and to their spirit. Well, you see, in verse 11, it says that only God knows his own thoughts, 
And no one can guess his plan of salvation or his plan of redemption or know, know what he thinks but himself, but his own spirit. But the difference between God and humans is that thankfully God actually gives his people his spirit, doesn't he? The spirit that knows his mind, that knows his thoughts. And this is seen in verse 12, which says, We have not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We are not left in the dark. What is the purpose of God giving Christians his spirit? Verse 12 says that we might understand the things freely given us by God. The Holy Spirit that he gives Christians reveals to us as believers all we need to know about salvation. All we need to know about redemption since it helps us to understand Christ and the glory he brings for us in eternity. Of course, it doesn't mean that we know everything of God. We're not God. But it does mean that we have the Spirit and we can know enough for wisdom and godliness in this life, especially as we study His Word. So believers, you and me, are not left in the dark. They have access. We have access to true wisdom as Spirit-filled people. And this is an amazing truth. It's true wisdom. Without help from His Spirit, we would not be able to understand the things of God, nor accept the things of God. We would remain blind, remain only loyal to the things of this world, and remain in our sinful state, wouldn't we? In verse 13, Paul again shows the contrast between the world's wisdom and God's wisdom. The message of the cross comes from God's spirit, not from foolish human wisdom. Therefore, Christ and the cross cross is not foolishness. It's not silly. Rather, it is true wisdom from God. God's wisdom, again, is true wisdom. Human and worldly wisdom is foolishness if it does not have God's spirit informing it. And this brings us to our third point. God's wisdom is foolishness to the natural person. Verse 14 to 16. In verse 13, we have already seen that Paul sees the connection between God's wisdom and God's spirit since it is God's spirit that helps us understand the things of God and allows us to understand the message of the cross. It is the spirit of God that opens the Christian's minds and hearts and conquers their rebellions, rebellions so that Christians can truly understand the things of God and to understand the message of the cross. So if you're sitting here today as a Christian, as one who has placed your faith in Christ and in the cross It's not because of your own effort. It's not because of your own ability. It's not because of your high IQ. It's because of God's grace in your life. Now we come to verses 14 to 16, where Paul, after speaking of the Spirit's work in believers, explains how, therefore, the natural person, however, cannot and does not accept Christ or the message of the cross by themselves. The natural person in this context simply refers to someone who does not have the Spirit of God. That is a non-Christian, an unbeliever. He says explicitly in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. You see, no amount of schooling, no amount of degrees or studying can make one wise enough to understand the things of God. The things of God must be revealed by God himself through his Spirit. Therefore, the natural person, one being in their natural state without the spirit, that is, the non-Christian, sees the wisdom of God as foolishness. They prefer what is sinful. They prefer the worldly things of this world, and they prefer over the wisdom of God. It isn't that they just don't understand the things of God, but they reject it. And again, they see it as folly, as foolishness. 
So when you share the gospel to your friends and to your coworkers, when you tell them of scripture, remember you are indeed sharing wisdom and you are sharing what is good. So if others do not accept or make or, or they make fun of it, it's because God must open their eyes still, open their hearts to believe in the truth. There's nothing wrong with the wisdom of God. When you share the gospel with your friends and with your neighbor, don't doubt the wisdom of God. It is indeed true wisdom. But God needs to do a great work to open their eyes. So plead with God to open their eyes next time you share the gospel. God, open their eyes. Cause them to understand, to receive the gospel, to see their sin. As we move on, we understand that not everyone in this world will be saved. Not everyone will submit their lives under, the, under God's word, though we hope many will. In verses 15 and 16, we can see that Paul understands that. And he understands that living in this world as Christians may mean that you and I will face opposition and, ju- and judgment from others. Verse 15 says, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Christians may work and perhaps live with people who see the message of the cross as foolishness. Maybe some of you do. As silly and a waste of time, it's easy to get frustrated and upset. But Paul teaches that Christians who have the Spirit have a new worldview. And that they see things and judge things pertaining to God through the wisdom of God and, the wisdom, and through the wisdom of His Spirit. So when Paul says that the spiritual person in verse 15 is to be judged by no one... I believe he has in mind that the Christian can't truly be judged by the natural person, by the unbeliever, because they do not see eye to eye. They don't believe in the same things. The natural person sees the Christian faith and ultimately Christ as foolishness. So how can the natural person give a true judgment regarding spiritual things if they're blind to the truth of Christ? They can't ultimately judge you, brothers and sisters. Because they don't know what they're judging. I'm sure many of us in this room can relate to that. Family members, best friends who look at us with such disgust when we love Jesus, when we trust in him, because we believe in the cross and believe in Christ. Maybe some of us who have been shunned by family and friends because of our faith. Maybe some of us who have been hated by certain people because of our allegiance to Christ. This is definitely the case in many other parts of the world. So when friends and families and coworkers look down on you, think of you lowly because of your faith, or maybe call you bigoted or cruel for your beliefs, remember that they do not know how to discern what is spiritual. Instead of responding in anger or with great discouragement and disappointment, plead once again to God to be gracious to these people, to those who mock you, to those who make fun of you, to those who judge you and do not understand you. Don't be discouraged. And don't doubt the wisdom of God for a second. The natural person cannot ultimately judge the Christian about the things of God because they themselves do not know God. Brothers and sisters, don't believe this for a second. The cross and Christ is not foolish. Don't believe that it doesn't compare to the wisdom and science and to the ideologies of this world. The cross is true wisdom. So in summary, so far, God's wisdom that includes the gospel and the message of Christ leads to glory. God's wisdom comes from the spirit. And God's wisdom is foolishness to the natural person. 
And I want us to understand that these points are being made by Paul to the Corinthian church to appeal to them that they might not be divided and that they might stop cherishing their outward appearance and stop elevating the philosophies and philosophers of this world over the gospel. That they might not be ashamed of the gospel and the message of the cross since it is indeed true wisdom from God. If you are an unbeliever this morning, sitting here and listening to this passage, or maybe you're tuning in on the live stream, you must understand that the call to Christ and the call to the gospel is still for you, even if you don't quite understand it or agree with it. It's true that unbelievers do not regard the wisdom of God as true wisdom. You might not regard the gospel as true wisdom. It might seem foolish to you. Nevertheless, the ironic part is that the message of the cross, the message message that you think to be so foolish, perhaps, is really the only message that can save you from your sin. The only message that, that can bring you to glory. The wisdom of God is available for you to believe in and to see as truly beautiful and truly wise because it is. We believe in a wise creator God who created all that we see, who created you and me, who created this world. He formed you in your mother's womb with great wisdom. He had a plan of salvation before this world was even created. Yet we as his created beings, what did we do? We sinned against him. We rebelled against him even though we were made to fellowship with him and love him. And we are all accountable to this God, this holy God. And we deserve eternal wrath and sin and hell forever because we sin against this holy God. Yet God, in his great love and in his great wisdom, sent Christ to die on the cross for our sin, to pay for our sin, to live the life that we should have lived, the perfect life we should have lived, and to die the death that we should have died on the cross. He died there and three days later came back to life so that whoever believes in Christ and turns from sin and the foolishness of this world shall be saved. Friends, this is wisdom from God, the gospel, a God who made a way for us to be saved and to have everlasting life and joy with him. Not through our own works, not through our own smarts or through our own philosophies, but by his own good work and wisdom. Don't view the wisdom of God as folly anymore. It's what brings you to glory. It's what saves you from wrath and from death. Trust in Christ, God's wisdom for you. And this brings us now to our final point, which is also a sobering truth for the Corinthian church. God's wisdom can be neglected. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. The problem, as already alluded to before, is that the Corinthians were chasing the wisdom of the world. And as a result, they truly believed that they were mature, fine, and perhaps wise. Not because of the gospel or the spirit of God that they received, but because of their worldly pride and snobbery. Paul has reminded them that true wisdom is found in the gospel since it is from God's spirit, and it's what brings us to glory. It's set apart, a wisdom and spirit uh, that is from God. Nevertheless, when we get to chapter 3 now, we see that though the wisdom of God has been revealed to these Corinthians, there was still a deep problem within this church. Verse 1 says, Paul, uh, in verse 1, Paul says that he could not address them as spiritual people. In other words, Paul is saying, you think you are so mature. You think you're so smart, knowing the philosophies of this world, following the best leaders of this world, 
but you're actually acting in a way that is opposite. Opposite. You're acting as people of the flesh, as the natural man who does not know about true wisdom. You're acting this way. Paul acknowledges that they are still in Christ, but that they are acting as infants in Christ. They were acting like babies, chewing on baby food instead of moving on to the greater truths of God. They were dabbling in jealousy and strife among each other, behaving in human ways, as verse 3 says. Is that not a sign of immaturity? So in application, this is a warning for us as well, for, for all believers, not just the Corinthian church. It's easy, how easy it is for some of us to perhaps, um, as more seasoned Christians, to fall back into immaturity. To maybe become jealous like our five-year-old daughter or son. To fall back into pride. To fight with each other over silly things and to divide over trivial things, even as seasoned Christians. To have to be reminded once again of the things we should already know to do or, or know not to do as believers. Hebrews 5, 12 to 13 says this, in fact, through by, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. Maybe Paul had to go back and teach them about righteousness, about Christ, about, about simple truths that they should have already understood. He had to go back and tell them that you shouldn't be dividing over these things. You shouldn't be getting so prideful. The Corinthians thought they perhaps were on solid and nutritious food, leaving the gospel and following the wisdom of this world, being divisive because of their pride. But they were wrong. Paul writes to them, saying in verse 2, that they still are not ready. Why? Because verse 3 says, you are still of the flesh. And in verse three to four, verses 3 to 4, Paul c- continues to give his reasons for why they are immature, why they are like children of the flesh. Because there is, like I said, jealousy and strife among them, pride and division. Some saying they follow Paul, some saying they follow Paulos. They were being childish, acting as being of the flesh and merely human, in a hu- merely human way, as verse 3 again says. Again, D.A. Carson notes how the word flesh can mean made of the flesh. That is merely human. The word can li- literally mean fleshly. The NIV translates this word, uh, word as worldly, which may be appropriate. These Corinthian Christians were acting in great immaturity. Acting how? Acting worldly, sinfully. However, when Paul calls the Corinthians as those who are people of the flesh, I don't believe Paul is saying that they are unbelievers. After all, as others may observe, Paul calls them brothers and infants in Christ. They are still in Christ. And several weeks ago, when I preached on chapter 1, we saw that the testimony of Christ was confirmed among these Corinthians as people who would be sustained as guiltless until the end. God faithfully keeps his people Christian. He, He faithfully keeps Christians Christians. He does not let go of his people ultimately. Nevertheless, Though God sustains his people, a surprising and yet sad truth about the Corinthian church has been revealed by Paul. So it is not impossible to have your eyes and heart illuminated by the Spirit of God and yet still backslide, falling into the things and ways of this sinful world. God has grace and mercy on the Corinthians and on us by pointing us back to the truth of God's wisdom this morning which is set apart from the world and is sufficient to go on to maturity. 
So brothers and sisters, thankfully, we aren't the Corinthian church, but it doesn't mean we are not susceptible to the same types of sins and temptations. Let's learn from them and let's press on in our faith in a way that will shield us from the flaming arrows of Satan. So again, in summary, we see that God's wisdom that includes the gospel, the message of Christ, leads to glory. God's wisdom comes from the spirit. God's wisdom is foolishness to the natural person. And now in chapter 3, we see that though the wisdom of God is true, it can be tragically ignored or neglected by Christians. Paul addresses Paul's address in chapter 2 was specifically in regards to what was going on in chapter 3. These Christians, just like you and I, were not ignorant. Yet they were living as if they were in ignorance. So he appeals to the Corinthians. And And so too, for us, we can learn from them. And we can remember that God's wisdom is indeed true wisdom. And to not forsake God's wisdom. So in a concluding application, I ask, how much do you value the wisdom and prestige of this world? There's nothing wrong with studying hard, like I said, or going to school. But there is something wrong when you see the wisdom of this world as greater than the wisdom of God. There is a problem if you think the gospel is a mere fairy tale or child's talk. We we see this all the time today in the church. People who go back on the truths of scripture and uphold the truths of this world, over and above scripture. Enough with the Bible. Enough with the morals that God has set. It's 2022. No, but brothers and sisters, the message of the cross, the gospel, is true wisdom once again. So cling to the gospel. Cling to the message of the cross. Don't forsake it. It leads you to glory. It's from the spirit of God. And secondly, we must see that there is no room for one-upmanship in the church. There's no room for pride. Some of us may be naturally prideful people. There's no room for putting people down based on your schooling, knowledge, and background. In Christ, we are all one people of God. There is no better race. There's no better gender. There's no better human. Consider again Philippians 2, 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. This may be a problem in some churches that look down on others who don't have certain degrees or certain jobs. We look down on people for their age and reputation. Yet if we are truly in Christ, Christians cannot divide, cannot create barriers over the wisdom and things of this world. Whether a parent talking to their children about what they should study or their their career path, shouldn't look down on them as people. We can use wisdom, whether we're, we go to a good UC, we go to a good school, and others don't. We should not look down on them because of the schooling that they, go, that, that, that they have. And we should not create division in the church. But we should all understand that we all hold to the wisdom of God, and that is the gospel. And we should love each other equally. Allow me to close now in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that indeed we are your people and that we are people who know true wisdom. We are people who have access to true wisdom. We can look to your wisdom every day through your word. We can pray to an infinitely, infinitely wise God. And sometimes we live in this world and we are tempted to think that the things of scripture, the truths of sin, the truths of salvation and redemption and sanctification, that those things 
aren't so wise, that we should be deconstructing, we should be talking about other things, we should be moving on, but God, help us never to move on from Scripture. Help us to never move on from the truth of the cross and the truth of the gospel. And even more, help us to never divide and think ourselves better than your truth and think of ourselves better than the people of the church because of what we know from this world. God, help us to learn from the Corinthian church and help us to never be prideful the way that they were, but help us to uphold the truths of your word and the wisdom from you as true wisdom. Help us, God, we pray. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.